0: So here we are, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Yes? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so as we gather together this evening, I to feel a lot of gratitude for being here and for being here with you, so thank you for being here. So, um, before I kind of get into what the theme is for this evening's reflections, um you know it's a invitation and encouragement to us to just really give some care to the way that we listen kind of interesting and um in listening to Dharma talks or maybe particularly on retreat, I know that sense of really listening in a kind of grounded, spacious way. And uh, I found this lovely, a uh, lovely quote I thought I would share with you as, uh, in this regard. It says, use your heart to listen to the teaching, not your ears. Like that. So, this evening's talk, um, as I sometimes do, I give a kind of concise summary. So, then if you fall asleep and you didn't hear anything else, you say, Oh, yeah, remember (laughs) remember that bit. As I said, it's about that. So, so I only give you two. <laughs> so, um, there is actually the first part is um, a teaching from Pema Chodron that I shared a couple of weeks ago. She says compassion is invo- involves daring to relax. It's good in it. I like that. Daring to relax and moving gently towards what scares us. So compassion involves, the cultivation of compassion involves daring to relax and moving gently towards what's, uh, what scares us. So that's the talk. So you go to sleep now if you're very tired. Just try not to snore, please. <laughs> and uh, in the risk of being a little bit kind of silly and zen-like or a certain sort of, anyway, uh, the silly bit—it just it kind of insists on coming in sometimes. You're not going in the hall if you're not bringing me with you. Sorry. And it's even when it's a very serious topic. So um, this is the this is the this is the second summary. So I am holding up an object if you care to look. But you don't need to look, you can just not look. <laughs> that would be that would be cool. I am I'm holding up a what in England do we call a conquer. I don't know, it's a horse chestnut. That's it. <laughs> what? Going on about this, this is the talk, right? Okay, maybe it'll make more sense as I go along, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I'm trying to get this thing really close to my mouth because somebody said they couldn't hear me. Is that better? Anyway, well, I hope. Can you hear me all right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is't you've heard it all before, so <laughs> okay so this this week this uh, the talk this evening is really a response to and a bow to um this uh as earth care week, so a group of uh insight meditation teachers got together and came up with this. So this week is Earth Care Week, if you didn't know. (laughs) And just an opportunity for us as teachers and as practitioners to perhaps take this time, take an opportunity to uh, check in with and reflect on um, the great environmental crisis that we face in our time. And to perhaps consider and reflect a little how how our Dharma practice can um, support us in mm, strengthening our willingness and capacity to respond. So just some reflections and offerings uh, to honor this. I'd like to read you um, the statement Um, from the Buddhist International Teacher Collaborative for Climate Action. At this moment of great crisis the earth herself along with her myriad innocent species (laughs) calls each of us to be her protectors. Together let us ensure our descendants will inherit a viable planet. Individually and collectively, we will be honouring the great legacy left by the Buddha and fulfilling our heart's deepest wish to serve and protect all life. So, may our reflections and our practice together this evening um, yeah, inspire and encourage us, encourage us to, to open to the possibility of being, uh, part of this response, this responding. So. Um. So the first, the first part I like, the way I'd like to focus the reflections is, just to read you another a passage from this book. This is a book by um, Tanisara. Um, called Time to Stand Up, so really amazing book, very inspiring um, in this area, and I want to read you, it's it's a somewhat lengthy paragraph, but in terms of actually stating um, the predicament, I felt I could not do, I couldn't do justice to it as well, I couldn't, seems to me to say so much in such a concise way actually and so i would just want to share this bit this piece with you and what i particularly invite you to do if you wish is to as you listen as you hear the words just to notice and you know, just to notice what the reactions the thoughts the feelings are just, just that. So... The Earth's ecosystems are dying. This is because of increased carbon, nitrous oxide and methane gases due to human activity, including modern modern li- livestock practices. Life on Earth is possible due to a viable biosphere that depends on the ability of plants and trees to photosynthesize the carbon we produce. Our biosphere is one of the single most vulnerable parts of the Earth's system and is the most essential to sustain life. However, as we pour massive amounts of carbon into our fragile atmosphere, heating the planet, and as we clear-cut and burn gigantic tracts of rainforest, which are the lungs and carbon sinkholes of our planet, the delicate balance needed to sustain a livable system is in peril. The impacts of our unsustainable lifestyles are everywhere, every day, and are taking us to the point where we have to understand that human civilization itself is under threat. While solutions are abundant and clear, in essence we have to move to renewable energy and revert to sustainable local models of agriculture, the process of how to get there is less clear. Beside our own difficulty in waking up to hard truths, our societies are now shaped by a corporate coup d'etat. This is fueled by massive wealth in the hands of an extremely tiny minority that manipulates mass media and the body politic to keep us in denial and in a trance of endless consumption. Is that not hard to hear? Isn't it hard to bear the truth that's in there? I don't want to be giving this talk, but wouldn't that be colluding in denial and avoidance and, you know, it's really hard, and perhaps um, you've had experiences as I have where I've I've seen, I've encountered, I've I've met with my own eyes the uh, the degradation. I've seen the uh, the destruction that's happening. Um. Yeah, and I, I was thinking for for some reason one example came to mind, and I don't know. I I I'll share it. There was a sense of I don't know if you know the the land, there's a stretch of, I think it's 95 between New York and Philadelphia, and I've had cause to travel that road some over the last few years, and I just, I every time I go along there, I feel this kind of, this a sense of the land being sick and sad, and this could be pure projection, you know, I don't, I I question my own perceptions I don't want to you know but if you look you know I think what I what I would be seeing there is a lot of uh, you know refineries a lot of that kind of activity and land a lot of the land just looks kind of uncared for lots of sort of scrubby land and then massive area where they widened the highway and just you know so for some reason that that came to my mind And another place that came to mind, which feels very, very tender, very close to my heart, is (laughs) the village I grew up in. And um, when I was growing up there in the 60s, the dawn chorus was deafening. A number of birds singing. They're not, they're not there you know they're not so many of them there now and the same with the number of um, wildflower species and uh, a lot of that is to do with the use of herbicides and pesticides and That's another place where it really touches me. You know, sometimes you read all this stuff and you talk about what's really going on. I don't know. They say this. They say that. But maybe, you know, maybe you have your own ways and places and times, you know, where you really, like, oh, you kind of, you get it. It's like, yes, this is real. This is happening. It's really hard to face. And, of course, that's one of the, Ways. so that's one of the, the, the very, that's the very place where our Dharma practice is so relevant and so important and so helpful, isn't it, it's like, it's Buddha taught, what did he teach, you know, one thing, suffering in its end, to understand, to, to really understand the, the suffering and the causes of that in our hearts and in the world, and also, I hope I'm again, I hope I'm not um, being sort of reductionist. This is not that it's more feels like microcosm and macrocosm or something. That we're here on retreat, and so much of our practice, so much of the time, isn't it about meeting the difficult? It's like sometimes, you know, intensely difficult. There's a, there's a way in which our practice of, of of just learning again and again, isn't it? Like how, how to be with what's difficult in a helpful way. And isn't that exactly what the planet needs? It's exactly the same, it's not different. And maybe that's one of the ways that we can, like our, our view of our life and our practice and what it's for, Now when I was reflecting on this talk I was really, I kept coming back to what Brian shared on Tuesday about what is our practice for? Who is it for? What is it for? Now, and and now, may our practice be for the benefit of all beings and for all forms of life on this planet. It's a kind of, it's a very... As I was coming in this evening and looking at the Buddha, I was really aware actually of, often I, I look, when I come in, I look at the Buddha and I bow and I, I have the wish that the talk be of, of help to you with dukkha. That's kind of, you know. And this evening when I, I, I looked at the Buddha and I was so aware of the plant and the flower and the plant and the rock and the concha. And I had this real sense of, oh, you know, may this talk be for the benefit of all beings, mm, the plants and the trees and the animals. It's a broader vision. Um, So as we meet, you know, our reactions to the passage I read you or just i think part of what i've learned from joanna macy i don't have a book i gave it to someone but her book active hope is the other book i would wave at you if i was going to wave a book at yes wonderful book active hope um one of the things she talks about in there is the skillful ways of of feeling that being able to meet the the you know these sort of reactions of fear or guilt or uh, anger, denial, confusion that arise when we when we we br- meet a difficult theme like this, or when we meet, yeah, just our own suffering, suffering of another being. And what is it that makes the difference? You know what how how do we how do we meet that so in ways that can transmute that energy and release it so it's more available for yeah, a compassionate response that so the energy is is transmuted and not just left as a cycle, you know, it's like, okay, you know, where do we go? We just get confused and then we just give up, and then we don't think about it and then we feel bad about that, and we f- then we think about it and we just feel frightened, so we t- switch on the TV, <laughs> yeah, I mean I just really, I really see this in myself sometimes, just how, what helps us to kind of break out of that, to kind of uh, drop more into the, into the heart, into the, the, the truth of our vulnerability and the vulnerability of our planet. I wanted to share a beautiful uh, quotation from a, a Quaker activist and contemplative called Douglas Steer. He said, To be present is to be vulnerable, to be able to be hurt, to be spent, to be willing to be spent. But it is also to be awake, alive and engaged actively in the immediate assignment that has been laid upon us. Isn't that beautiful, it's like so, so much in there, isn't it, so, so... To be vulnerable, you know, it's so counter, isn't it, because it's something about this wisdom that our strength or the strength that is really needed in the world is actually not sort of found in instead of vulnerability it's found in the vulnerability and i think part of the reason for that this is not douglas steer this is me is something about that vulnerability means openness doesn't it it means um, we're connected. We're together somehow. The, vul- and the vulnerability. We're more present. We're more with life, with others, with with nature. It's undefended and so available. And I also feel again like part of our training for the world in retreat is this. You know, this sense in which practice is... St- I to find out how to engage actively in the immediate assignment that has been laid upon us, you know, what do you get today? You get, you know, a heavy foggy mind state, or this is the immediate assignment that's been laid upon you today, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's where we train for these great, for these, for this, for the work in the world, So the other point I just wanted to bring in this area is something that Joanna emphasizes as well, is finding opportunities to, to speak, to share with others what the Buddha would often call wi- wise friends and suitable conversation. <laughs> so it's not just any old body and any old time and any old conversation, right? It's it's wise friends and suitable conversation is so such an important part of again because I think it it's there's no pain plus isolation equals suffering yeah so when we when we feel cut off when we feel alone with what's difficult it's like 59,000 times more difficult And when we're together, when there's, again, uh, the sharing and the wise friends and the suitable conversation, we can find resources, we can find ways, we can find actions that we could never find on our own. And I was very struck by this um, last night, uh, participating in my first webinar, so I felt felt very up-to-date and modern. (laughs) doing that Um, and it was on a different theme it was on um, reflecting on whiteness and racism and white supremacy but it felt very I I was surprised I was very skeptical that what's it gonna feel like sitting in my house and people I was talking to somebody in Oakland somebody in um, Washington DC somebody in Pennsylvania and and me yeah it was it was really. I was very surprised at how helpful it was, and how how um, yeah. There was a, there was a real sense of community and a sense of wise friends and suitable conversation. So we can maybe we can find this, um, and it makes a huge difference. So I also I wanted to. Um, touch on the teachings of the Brahma Viharas and how and again, a little bit like I was saying earlier you know, when we do metta practice and we think of you know, all beings it's, it's not that much of a shift is it to say all life, all plants all trees, you know, all water Air. And it's, it's that maybe again, the way our practice, when we practice the Brahma Viharas, again to maybe open to more consciously and intentionally include the, the earth and the air and the trees and the creatures. And, and that sense of how the metta can, can foster the sense of kinship. No deep kinship with all creatures and all forms of life, with the rock and the tree and the chipmunk and the vulture. And, yeah, our, our knowing our place in the family of things, as uh, poet Mary Oliver says, the a sense of belonging, I think that so much of our suffering comes from a sense of, that we don't even realize as a kind of alienation from, instead of not really being part of things. So I think the metta, like, it can, it can bring a sense of belonging and kinship with all, with all of life. Or Karuna. To, f- to feel with, to care for, to be... again, to begin to that sensitivity and responsiveness to the suffering of the soil, or the tree, the animal. The mudita, which uh, I love the way these four qualities sort of support and balance each other. That always fe- feels so crucial to somehow the way they work together. So to, to, to have joy, you know, and appreciation and to, to celebrate our, our natural, the natural world and our, you know, that love and the wonder and the beauty and... Um, how how much gratitude and and I know you all know this when you're on retreat. Often isn't the the, the trees and just being and all of that. It can be the, one of the most supportive kind of uh, you know bringing us down to earth <laughs> in a really in a really helpful way. That we can feel that gratitude and appreciation, um, extending that. And then the upekka, and I, I, I was reflecting on this, and I, uh, this is not a completely formed thought, but it's something about that part of what upekka or equanimity is, is, um, it's living in living in balance, or living in alignment, actually with with the way things are, or with the natural order, or with the natural laws. Like I was thinking with this conquer, how, you know, how so much of the suffering and then so much of our greed and and, and all the activity that, and what we participate in that creates so much damage, kind of... It comes from our not being in touch with the kind of wisdom that is in a way so direct with the conquer. When I picked it up off the ground it had just come out of its little case and it, you know, it was that bright shiny mahogany, sort of deep goldy brown, shiny like a newborn baby. And look at it now, you can't really see it very clearly, but it's it's shrinking and it's drying out like me. No, like this. this like, like all of us. <laughs> That's how I feel. Look at myself. I used to be a nice, bright, shiny conquer. <laughs> and now look at me. What happened? <laughs> I can't be this old. Yeah. But it, there it is, you know. And, and how much, you know, I wonder sometimes if you look into our society and you see all this sort of frantic, desperate, consuming, you know, we see it in ourselves and we see it on retreat, don't we? It's like, yeah, okay, it happens here too. Um, and and so much of that, I think, more than we realise, is something about we don't want to be the conquer. You know, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be what, are, you know, born and, and dies and So so living in harmony with you know that that deep deep challenge to to be nature to be nature to give it up surrender okay powerless I agree yes I'm like this and then you know I'm playing a bit because I wouldn't say I because there's no such thing, but you know what I mean this body here. And I've found this other quote that um I, I I is lovely and it's actually from a sign in a monastery in Thailand and it says What is a tree like? Oh no no no, sorry, sorry, sorry. What are trees like? Question mark. You are just the same. What are trees like? You are just the same. That could be another pithy summary of the talk. Perhaps. So. Um so maybe, yeah, I just, and there's a lot more I want to share. I can am I'm, I'm not going to get through half of it. Well, I may get through half of it, but um, how our Dharma practice, so, so far, what have I mentioned? I mentioned the meeting of the difficult feeling, the difficult truth, and the feelings, and the transmuting, the possibility of transmuting that through breathing with that, through all the ways we have in our practice to support us with opening to the difficult and reflecting, wise friends, suitable conversation. You know, that's the, where that comes from, is the Buddha's teachings on the hindrances, and it's the one that's common in all five, you know, he gives sort of different recommendations of what to do with sloth and torpor and what to do with the Virgin, and that's the one that's common to all five, or one of the ones and then cultivating the Brahma Viharas and seeing how how we can um, just through a slight shift of how we view our practice we can we can be practicing in a much vaster space in a much more um, inclusive doesn't it, it, it I don't know, I, I feel like sometimes that that f- that really helps with the, you know, the sort of claustrophobia of, of me and mine and my dukkha and oh my goodness, and what am I going to do in this pattern and that pattern and ah! <laughs> you know, to, to be able to, to kind of keep coming back to the bigger context, the larger context, like ah! Oh. to 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 let it be a movement of release and opening rather than you know that defended against I don't want to go into all of that because then I'm not I can't be just here taking care of my bit you know my difficult bits I'm so then you're stuck aren't you like this It's a bit it's a bit of a small way to live really you know and and I I don't know how to put that into words. the recording. (laughs) You know, because I can act it out and you know exactly what I mean. But um, anyway, living small. So how can we, how can we aerate our view? How can we uh, start to loosen up our, our view? So I just wanted to mention, just... It's the cultivation and exploration of wise view, a way of seeing ourselves, our experience, other people, the planet, that is actually conducive to the alleviation and ending of suffering. That's it, really. Has how, you know, and it sounds so, it's so direct in a way. Like, for example, I just want to give a couple of examples of uh, teaching on anatta, this this sense of when we can feel, when we can see, when we can, uh, ah, it's, it's not so personal, it's not, it's it's, it's happening, something definitely, but not so oh, not so identified with, talking to somebody today, you know, it's not necessarily complete, 100% liberation and everything is completely known as not me and mine, okay, done, finished, let's go and have a cup of tea. <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm not quite so caught up in that anymore. That's, that's disidentification. That's anatta being being known, being, being lived. And what happens, and, and if, I don't know, you, you check us out in your own experience, but what can happen in my experience is that when that sense is there, or that knowledge or that way of seeing, everything feels a lot more spacious and there's this tremendous sense of interconnection. And uh, just a memory, seems relevant, um, years ago, sitting in a huge hospital in Britain, very, very great, world-class hospital, Addenbrooke's. And uh, it's, getting, it's getting bigger and bigger and it's going to take over the world, actually. But anyway, that might not be a bad thing. Um, but anyway, um, sitting in, this, in the, the canteen of this hospital and just contemplating the hundreds, if not thousands of people in that, in that complex, it was just, I just felt my mind just kind of fell open at just contemplating all that suffering and pain and all that care and compassion and just, oh, so, and I think that for me, you know, you we all have these moments of insight, don't, you, don't we, that define our life. And I think that was one for me, that that something in that of of realization, of oneness, or however you want to put it, um, was very palpable, very, very vivid, the sense of mm, not particularly denying any self was, just just wasn't relevant, just wasn't real, it wasn't happening. And instead, there's just, uh, yeah, impossible to put into words. But I think the the sense of how we've all probably had moments and times in our life, maybe recently, maybe here in retreat, where we, we kind of taste that, that sense of connection, interconnectedness or oneness, however you want to kind of say that. And that what's important is not to grasp at it and try and, you know, get it to happen all the time or um, <laughs> that, that's like what really makes a difference to our life and, and to our, our willingness to respond to climate change and, and other difficulties in the world is the the wisdom of interconnection that that we can again practice remembering and, and, and allowing that to inform inform our our life just one really, sm- really simple but really important way that we can practice with this on retreat is around, and this is a big topic, whole of the talk, but is our, our, our understanding, our view of food. <laughs> Isn't there a lot can play out around that for a lot of us in different ways? And such an opportunity, and you know, such a, an opportunity for seeing the food and the eating and the as as such a, a powerful and, and rich place of of reflection of seeing again in a way or in ways that can free us from the greed or the you know kind of wanting the wanting more or wanting it different or um, you know, not wanting it at all, or, yeah, I mean, I st- st- should be like this, or, you know, all of this that plays out around that, and how can we see it in in a, in a way which is, again, nourishing our sense of, of uh, connection with the earth, and care and wisdom, which can then inform the way we consume, the kind of, you know, where we get our food and all of that. So there's a wonderful, I found this um, at Plum Village, there's a sign or it's something that's spoken, sorry, I can't, re- I can't remember, um, before the meal and it says, in this food I see clearly the presence of the entire universe supporting my existence. So there's a little practice for you, you, when you take your food and sit, see if you can see, this is so Thich Nhat Hanh, it's so beautiful isn't it? it, has his, I don't know if he created that but it feels so in the spirit of his teachings. See the presence of the entire universe supporting your existence. So, um, hmm. maybe just a couple more things, maybe three more things. All right. So, I wanted to I- include some uh, sense of how how our practice can, or how we can see, how we can. Allow nature to be sacred, how we can see it as sacred um, and this maybe resonates for some people, maybe not for others but as again as a as a way of opening the heart as a way of opening to compassion and um, for our own healing and for the healing of the planet. So in, 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 in um, honoring this possibility of, of, uh, of being in connection, being in touch with the sacredness of life, I'd like to share a poem, a rather ecstatic poem. Let's, let's not uh, banish ecstasy from the, the forest refuge, ecstasy. Is Well, not that kind of ecstasy, that's like, ethical ecstasy. (laughs) I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a true blue dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died and am alive again today and this is the sun's birthday and this is the birth of life and love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt unimaginably? You Now the ears of my ears awake and the eyes of my eyes are opened. Yay <laughs> That's what it does for me anyway. <laughs> so the great E.E. Cummings. So. Just a couple of things in uh, beginning to come towards the end of this talk. Um, Something about how we can either on retreat or off retreat. I I was thinking I had a friend who had, uh, was on a long retreat and actually it became a very central thing for her on that retreat to 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 really deeply reflect on her life and what she wanted to do what really what really is she called to you know the preciousness the brevity of life the all of that and she went into that you know for several weeks and and for her what came out of that was A very clear very rooted commitment to work for um, the care of the earth and to to uh, meet this challenge of, of climate climate change and global warming and I feel like that's there's a sense of the the part of the potential of a retreat can be just through our simplifying and simplifying and deepening and you know and so all the noise starts to clear a bit that we can we can come back in touch with what we what we really care about you know what what actually is most what we really value and that doesn't have to be this it could be something else but something about how easy it is in our life for us to lose touch with that. And yet when we live from that, there's so much joy and ease and peace and benefit that comes from it. And maybe you know people, like I sometimes think of this wonderful another Quaker called George Lakey, who's been a social activist for many, many years. And there's something so... he think he's in his 70s now. And he's so buoyant and light and joyful. And, you know, it's like, oh. <laughs> he's, you know, just in that way. So, oh, so completely dedicated and yet so light. And I, 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 listening to him, sometimes I feel like it's because he's he's really doing what he's called to do. And I think that's... a. Sadly, a rare thing in the world. But maybe we all, you know, it's like allowing that to happen. Anyway, I, I wanted to share a very powerful, maybe you know this, is from Andrew Harvey. He said, follow your heartbreak. That is, scan your conscience for the issue that keeps you awake at night. Then get up in the morning, with the intention of doing something to mend that one broken thing. And follow your heartbreak. This, you know, this is the wisdom of vulnerability. This is the strength. This is, to me, it's, yeah, it's it's connected with what we were saying earlier about opening to our vulnerability. So, um hmm, hmm maybe lastly, um, I want to share with you um if i find it on oh, want bit bits of paper here, <laughs> um, yeah, so another Quaker. I have a Quaker background and was until recently a Quaker and have learned a lot, there's a lot to learn from the way Quakers have organized and are engaged with the world. And I feel sometimes like, as Buddhism and Buddhist practice matures in the West, that we can learn a lot from, we can learn a lot from the Quaker movement who've had another, well they've had a bit more longer, they've had like 300 years to figure this out. Buddhism Buddhism's only been in the West about 50 years, hasn't it? So So there's a young Quaker called Jay O'Hara and his friend Ken Ward who a little while ago um, actually blockaded a coal ship bound for Brayton Point which is one of the biggest coal-fired power stations on the East Coast of the United States and they were brought to trial Um, for that action and all the charges were dropped and the DA, uh, somebody called Sutta, Mr. Sutta, said, that's S-U-T-T-E-E-R, not S-U-T-T-A, said their actions were reasonably reflective of a broader danger, that of climate change. That's really amazing and I just want to read you um, a little bit of what Jay uh, wrote about this experience. The lobster boat blockade I did with Ken was part of what I consider my friends, that's the Quakers, ministry, an expression of faith in action. By taking the first step of putting oneself in a position to observe the injury as it is being done. And I consider burning coal, given everything we know, to be among the most terrible actions possible. We do what is called bearing witness in the Friends tradition. When we do that, miraculous and unexpected things happen. So, May we be inspired to um, allow our practice to reconnect us with with our vulnerability, with our strength, with our good-heartedness. Allow it to strengthen our capacity to respond, to follow our, our heartbreak, and in ways that bring healing to our, to our lives, to our planet. So, yeah, I think i had better stop there. So, thank you for your attention.